Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, everyone. We also welcome back our elite, irregular panelist, Dr. Bruce Garrick. Well, hello, gamers. Mm, didn't feel quite right. I, I, I mm-hmm. kind of miss... I, I kind of miss our, our Eastern European friend. Yeah. Well, sometimes that's how it goes. Uh, so today we have an interesting situation. Uh, our latest Patreon topic poll was tied between two different themes. Underrepresented theaters and campaigns in wargaming versus the representation of logistics in games. Uh, so we had a bit of an email argument over which topic we'd rather do a show on. Uh, personally, you know, I think all our listeners know how I feel about logistics uh, in my heart. Uh, but before we dive into our discussion, I, I just want to posit something to you both, uh, which is that I think in a lot of cases, uh, when we're talking about interesting conflicts, interesting campaigns, stuff that doesn't get covered a lot, I think in a lot of those cases, we're probably also going to be partly discussing uh, logistics. That, that's not true in every case, particularly, I think, with, like, uh, you know, coin-type situations where a lot of the constraints you're trying to model are political. But I think there's an awful lot of theaters and campaigns where a big part of what makes them interesting is the particular difficulties, like, combatants faced in carrying out their operations. Like, those are the obstacles that you have to deal with as, as a player uh, in those situations. In other words, I'm, I'm not sure those two topics are quite as different as they seem and I'm, I'm curious what whether you guys think there's anything to that oh that's so cute rob you you know you say, you know what you sound like you sound like a really nuanced thoughtful critical sophisticated movie reviewer talking about why people like certain movies okay you want to know the answer go for it People like games because they're about stuff they like. Everything's about Battle of the Bulge, D-Day, blah, blah, because that's what people want. Somebody's, somebody's father, grandfather or something served in something, Korean War maybe, but you know, usually, usually a World War II thing, and it's Americans and people like America, plus Gettysburg. Um, I mean, that's, that, that's why that stuff is, as, as far as I'm concerned. Because you know, what, you know what I'm looking at here? What? I'm looking at a webpage for a, uh, for a company called... Europa Simulazioni. Okay. It sounds like there might be a copyright infringement thing that Troy needs to be taking note of, but go on. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> and y- you know you know what they have? They have a game. about. It's called All is Lost Save Honor. And, and Troy, they spell it with a U. That's a name. Um, Hell yeah. Excellent. Yeah, but that... Um, it's a game about the campaigns fought during the Italian Wars, mainly between the Habsburgs and the Valois. That sounds The first great. volume is de- dedicated to the campaigns between uh, Agnadello and Pavia. I mean, it, it's because they're Italians, so they like stuff about Italian things. And it, it, it's, it appears that it's sold out. Hmm. Well, so, you're not while, be, it's sold out because you're not going to be printing very many of those. Oh, They probably made five. I bet you all of Italy has one. But 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 to to the, to the larger point, Rob. I mean, I think that, you know, you can you can go about things and say, you know, gosh, you know, this game, this this situation is so interesting and and people are going to come to this because of the the really, you know, the horns of the dilemma on which each player is placed and the quality of the of the simulation, et cetera, et cetera. But no, not no. I mean, for example, <clears throat> a Game, uh, 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 what, what would probably qualify as an underrepresented theater or topic would be uh, the Russo-Polish War of 1920. Uh, I know of two games specifically. I mean, I'm sure there are more, but just two come up to right off the top of my head. GDW published one in, I think, 1979, 80 maybe, called uh, Red Star, White Eagle. And uh, there's another game called... Uh, actually called uh, Strike of the Eagle, which is a great, um, a great game. I think it's by, it's it's by the same people that do um, do Conflict of Heroes, uh, Academy Games. It, it's a fantastic game, but those are the only two games I can think of. I think Revolution now, Under Siege covers it a little bit, which is an age-odd derived game. Yeah, but, but that yeah, yeah, but I mean, uh, I mean, it's not dedicated. It's not. No, a, it's not yeah. dedicated. Right, right. I have two separate games 
in Polish. That one sitting right here, Rok uh, Tishon which is year 1920. And it is, uh, it's a game about the Russo-Polish War. And there's another one, too, that uh, I, I can't remember what it's called, but it's stuck in the back of my closet. Um, two games just from Polish publishers about that war, because okay. that's what people, and I, and I was I was reading, um, I was reading, an, uh, or actually I think I was watching a, a Polish uh, YouTube about a game from some, from the 1831 uh, uprising, or actually 1830, it was 1830. Uh, against the Russians, and um, it's some battle with some Polish general that you know nobody's ever heard of, but they're making a game about it, and and they were sh doing an extensive, uh, extensive YouTube sort of playthrough tutorial. Uh, I think it's a might be like some kind of Polish uh, Kickstarter type thing, but uh, I mean. Who the heck is going to buy that game? Do you think that people are going to buy that game because there's some kind of interesting situation and some interesting tactical problem? It looks like some, you know, 1830s game where there are some, I mean, you could probably, it's probably as, as Napoleonic as, as anything else. I mean, it's obviously not Napoleonic era, but it's soon after that and the, and the 19th century, the 18th century tactics. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So it has nothing to do with the, with the situation being interesting or the problems being interesting. It's because uh, Polish gamers want to want to play stuff about Poland. I mean, and, and that's completely fine, right? I mean, Americans want to play things about D-Day and, and Battle of Bulge because that's what they, that's what is most, it, this is an entertainment medium and that's what people are entertained by. And I think that, you know, your theory is more like, well, you know, this movie, people like this movie because of the interesting cinematography. No, I mean, yeah, some people do, but almost nobody. Uh, people like, like superheroes and, and people blowing up. I don't think Rob was saying that people will people like games with logistical problems. I think he was saying that underrepresented upper underrepresented fronts, uh, for our perspective, will generally have a logistical tack because they're underrepresented because it's hard to do and it's interesting to us. Not mm. necessarily just not necessarily interesting to the masses because yeah, if logistics if logistics things are interesting to the masses, you know, God, there, there would be some. Jeep management sim oh, uh, coming out of Germany. Oh, are you are you going to make one? I can't talk Please. about Paradox. I'm just, I can't uh, talk about what like, Paradox is doing. I'm imagining the Saving Private Ryan of Red Ball Express movies, uh, yeah, basically, where it's like just guys driving trucks through the French countryside, like with with shaky cam footage for hours. Put that in your next design meeting, there. Uh, there yeah, um, but yeah, but, no. Okay, I so mean, but I, I still I still disagree. I think that the, I think I think people make games about campaigns that they're interested in, uh, and they make uh, and, and logistics logistics are only relevant are only put in games where the logistics are really the like you, like you can't have a North Africa game without logistics. But that's because that's what it's that what that campaign is associated with, right? Mm -hmm. The Rommel shoestring. It, it's because logistics are part of the narrative that people hold in their minds about that campaign, like the Eastern Front encirclements and people getting out of supply and then the pocket being reduced, right? And trying to keep that pocket supplied, right? It's, it's, it's part of a narrative. It's not necessarily part of an interesting tactical problem or, or I guess, an operational problem in my, in my mind. But it'd be an interesting narrative. I mean, there are interesting war game stories that might not be being told, Right. Oh, there are tons of interesting stories that aren't being told, but I think it's being right. they're not being told because people aren't going to buy those games. Oh, sure, but this show isn't, isn't about whether we should sell them. It's about, you know, hey, wouldn't it be nice if? This is a, I, that's how I interpreted the, interpreted the oh. question. Wouldn't it be we nice gonna, if? I thought, I thought uh, well, I still, I still think... Uh, I mean, we, 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 know, we, know, we know why topics aren't covered, why, why fronts are forgotten. I mean, it's hmm. the same reason that game genres go to style. People, yeah. get, people don't know about them or they get bored by them and they move on. Well, um, Rob's still wearing a beret and a monocle, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah, that's just what he wears on Wednesday nights. Hmm. So, okay, well, so then, okay, so, so I'm sorry. Then I seem to have hijacked your point. So please, please continue. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think Troy, Troy framed the like framed the point pretty well, though. Like, I, I suspect in a lot of cases where you're looking at these, uh, the, these sort of conflicts that aren't typically covered, uh, a lot of them are going to involve maybe things that are a little. 
a little different than just the standard like maneuvering of armies and squads. Um, like if, you, if you're going to make something like that's particular to to a conflict as a whole, a lot of times it will it will probably be talking about some of the limitations uh, involved in in those spaces, and that tends to be where some of the the interest will will tend to come from. And I think in a lot of cases that's that's going to be logistics, like. Something I like, something I like a, a, a conflict that I tend to really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Enjoy is a weird word, but we'll, we'll roll with it. Um, I think the French and Indian War is fascinating. Like, the, I think mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. Both, I think it's interesting in a lot of theaters. I think the Seven Years' War in Europe is is all is also got a lot of really. I, like, I'm a huge Frederick the Great fan uh, and everything. Mm-hmm. It's a, I think these, those are fascinating campaigns. But one of the things that I really find fascinating about the French and Indian War, the the war fought in North America, is the fact that both sides are dealing with um, such weird uh, like logistical chains, like where they are able to launch campaigns out of, uh, where they have difficulty operating. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's basically two guys who have a real hard time. It's like two boxers uh, like who are almost like you know in the ring with a one foot nailed to the floor and can't quite land a punch for a while. Uh, but that's not why people make French. But what, that's not why people make Seven Years' War games. No, but I think it's one of the things that makes those like that situation an interesting one, uh, and and sort of exciting as a as a player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it does. But I mean, the, 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 it's because Frederick the Great, dude. Who would want to play a game about Frederick the Great? Well, actually, a lot of people don't. That's an, actually an interesting point. Um, that you know, no matter how com- I, uh, <clears throat> a friend of mine was mentioning this to me uh, uh, the other day, we were playing. Um, uh, fantastic game, Hearts and Minds by uh, Worthington Games. Play is the this whole, a Vietnam uh, game? I think you saw, you saw, yeah, saw, yeah. Shot, play, saw shots of you playing it. Yeah, play the whole whole Vietnam War in in, in a long, long afternoon. Um, I, you know, I, I'm I'm moving soon, and I'll be leaving you know North Carolina. And he said, you know, I, I really am going to be miss you when you leave because nobody else really wants to play these strategic Vietnam games, and no matter how good the game is or how you know interesting that particular thing about it is people just don't see it as a you know as something they're really interested in playing for some reason and i'm not sure why that is but they just you know they that's not that's not their go-to thing so they're not going to play that regardless of what the weird problems of the game are and that's really too bad i mean i read uh, crucible of war Last year, reread it, and it's mm-hmm. as I was playing it. I mean, it's running into you mean all the of these... Anderson's book. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think it's a really good big long history of the French Indian War from mm-hmm. the British from the British side. And mm-hmm. you know, as I was reading, I was thinking, well, this is but like Rob, you know, this is an interesting strategic puzzle, strategic tactical puzzle to put into a game. Uh, somehow, it mm-hmm. is about our. Uh, you know, the long marches and do you have enough men to get there and are your Indian allies going to be there? Can you keep your Indian allies there? Is your general smart enough uh, to hold things together? So you have this whole, I mean, it's a political problem. It's a logistical problem. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the military stuff in the Seven Years' War really isn't interesting at all. The interesting stuff is the marching of the armies and the holding of the territory, the battles themselves yeah. okay. are kind of, kind, kind, kind of pointless. So it's you know, it fits into kind of this... You know, classic, you know, 17th, 18th century model of, you know, the the important thing is uh, either avoiding battle altogether or forcing the other side to recognize it's going to lose a battle. So it's going to march out of the fort with its Mm -hmm. drums and trying to get beaten up by the Mohawk. Um, So there's not a lot, except for Battle of Quebec and, you know, a few other instances. It It is a war about, you know, controlling transportation controlling mm-hmm. certain mm-hmm. lines of communication uh, it is a war of it is a it is not it is it's not a worker placement game it is a soldier and fort placement game okay uh, and occasionally they'll run into each other and there will there right. will be a battle and i think that's an interesting thing to game out um oh, it's terribly interesting i agree oh yeah, i totally I, I don't disagree with you in any way yeah but a lot of people don't find that well, yeah. people find yeah, that they don't but, want but they I think, can't but but i think like i, I think like where that line of discussion I think becomes a little like unfruitful is like a lot of people don't give a shit about like war games at all. You know what I mean? Like, like to, to a degree, like we're already talking about sort of niches within niches. Sure, I, I, think of the, I think the re- like a lot of conflicts that will suggest like, yeah, there should be a game about that. I'm not actually saying 
here's my million dollar idea. Go and make mm-hmm. a French and Indian war game, and you're right. gonna be set for life. Like, mm-hmm. please don't do that. Like, if you're if you're like <laughs> cashing out your life life savings and be like, mm-hmm. man, I'm gonna liquidate that 401k and and build that crucible of war ad- adaptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't do that because you'll probably yeah. be ruined for the for the reasons Bruce's, <laughs> Bruce has outlined. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nevertheless, like, I mean, it is fun to sort of like play in the sandbox here and think about like what do like nerds like us who do dig this kind of like us beret wearing nerds who who do enjoy these types of games and who own multiple copy multiple editions of games on uh the the polish uh soviet war um what do we find compelling about these what what opportunities do we think are out there for exciting games even if they wouldn't be like commercially even if they wouldn't be like commercially viable I mean, okay well let's talk about let's talk about a theater Bruce, here's a question you'll be able to answer. Yeah. Are there any huh. are there any board games about Simon Bolivar's campaigns? Gosh, in South America? Yeah, I I'm sure there. I here here's the thing. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, every, I'm sure there's at least one. Yes, I'm sure that every topic in wargaming has been covered once by right. Strategy and Tactics magazine at some point yes. in the history <laughs> of that magazine. That's right. that's my that I, that's my assertion. You gotta hit a deadline. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I'm not sure that, no, I'm not sure that it has. That's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting, um, uh, um, topic to that. I mean, one of the problems I think is that, you know, most people who make war games are English, primarily English speakers, right? They're Australian, they're British, or they're American. And they often don't have other languages to rely on for research right so somebody who who wants to research a game about simon boulevard's campaigns is going to have to do it in english and that's a big problem for example i would love to do a game on the campaigns of the teutonic knights if you are stuck with english then forget it you've got one author well two but Basically, one is very prolific, one is not. But you, you have you have very limited sources. Now, if you have German, you have a ton of sources. And if you have Polish and Russian, uh, you're you're you also have you, you probably have some more. But the German is the language that you want to, uh, to to have in order to do your research. So you're pretty much German designers are stuck making that game. Um, so you know, if you want to do some Boulevard's campaigns, well, you, you better read Spanish. Um, an interesting, uh, thing that I wanted to, to bring up was, um, China, Burma, India, because that's a campaign that I think gets no love from war gamers. Um, I think it's very interesting and it has, uh, a fair amount of, um, English, uh, historiography because, I mean, it was a British campaign in World War II. So, and, 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 you know, Australia and New Zealand and, you know, the colonial don't, don't, don't think I'm, I'm short, giving anybody short shrift here. But the, but the point is that English speakers were, were very much involved in that campaign, but you don't see any, any games about that. Now, I wonder if that's because of the problems inherent in the campaign, uh, or just, it's not that interesting. I think it's terribly interesting, but you know, I don't know what you're, I, it's, it's hard to, um, it's hard to find any really good games. Now, Kim Conger, my one, currently my favorite, I think one of my favorite designers of all time uh, because of the way he, he and I have a very similar um, desire for gaming is that we want games that give us a real, war games that give us a real narrative and, and, and hook us with a story that is simple but uh, very compelling uh, in the mechanics. And he's just, he's better at making, he's better, better at making a game out of mechanics than almost anybody I've seen. Very few people uh, are able to do that in that way. Um, so he's making a game called Nemesis, which is a game about Burma. And I'm very interested to see how that comes out. Uh, so anybody who's listening to this should definitely put that on their list. That's from Legion War Games. Uh, and, uh, but I mean, who, who, who can think of another good game about China, Burma, India? I, I can't really think of it. And, and ch- the Chinese theater um, there you've got Chinese versus Japanese. I mean, good luck with your research, right? I mean, maybe Japanese designers will want to do that, but that's kind of a, I don't know, it's very interesting for them. 
Um, there's been there have been several games uh, that I came out in, against the Odds magazine um, about the the campaign in China, um, both of which I think are are failures as games. Um, one was just because the rules were so terrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a whole bunch of limitations you have on on producing a game that go far beyond whether anybody wants to, whether anybody's going to buy it. Because I mean, obviously, nobody's making these games to get rich. But if you want to make a game about something, you have to have the ability to research that thing, and then you have to, you know, people have to, publishers have to decide that they're going to publish that thing. Just before I move on from this, I'm, I'm just curious, like, make the case for for China, Burma, India, because one of the things I was thinking about was like, I, I also wanted to ask you, like, you know, what what parts of World War II, Bruce, did you do you feel are are still sort of untapped for uh, potential, given that it's it's such a you know massively simulated conflict? Uh, what's what is it about China, Burma, India uh, that that makes that theater uh, such such an interesting? interesting one for you because i think my vision of it it tends to be like as a uh really unglamorous uh like sideshow theater uh but that's uh, again partly because where it comes up in a lot of english writers is more focused on just the shitty conditions of the campaign Mm -hmm. rather than the the, any anything about battles well i mean china burma india is all lumped together i should i I use it because it is an easy shorthand but i mean china and 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 Burma, India are two completely different campaigns. Um, the thing about, you know, I think the thing that's compelling about the about Burma, India is that this is a, you know, these are French, or French, oh my God, <laughs> British um, uh, colonial possessions that uh, were, you know, this is this is a threat to the British hegemony in India um, that's coming from the east, uh, from the Japanese, as opposed to the, you know, the previous, you know, uh, game. Uh, um, the Great Game, uh, Afghanistan, the threat to India from the USSR, uh, or actually from from uh, from Russia. It wasn't the USSR at the time, but um, this is the the sort of the, you know the 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 British colonial empire under threat, uh, and the I think tremendous logistical achievements that were 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 carried out by the Japanese to even be able to get as far as they did. Um, the the battles the the final the the final battles in fall um, Kohima uh, were 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 very sort of they were intense uh, they had all arms um, but it's just something that's not very it, it's it's just because of because all of the, the 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 I don't think the the Japanese could have really sustained uh, an an offensive into into India without winning the naval war which they didn't. Um, makes it little sort of a, like you said a sideshow, but I don't think it was a sideshow for the for the uh, for the British at the time. That was their sort of main concern. Now, now China is a completely different story. China, to me, is like the the real Eastern Front. Uh, I mean, it's e- further east than the Eastern Front, um, but it's the real. I mean, the, the the numbers of troops involved in the battles in uh, in China were 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 uh, you know Barbarossa scale. Battles, uh, you know, the, the the number of troops involved were um, were similar, and the the, uh, the horribly bloody battles. I mean, the, the the and the final battles in the in the in the uh, Chinese Civil War. Oh my gosh! I mean, these are these are these are just titanic uh, confrontations that uh, I think a lot of people don't really don't really realize how big they were, and, and these these uh, these movements of of Japanese troops and how now there's a lot of Politics, you know, Chiang Kai-shek and the communists, and the you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that goes on that you have to be able, well, you kind of have to be conversant with that stuff. Yeah, this has and been one of the, the obstacles for me following it is is to a degree you have this weird thing where I think the the, the size of China and the scale of the mm-hmm. civil war itself is a little mm-hmm. mind-boggling at times. Yeah, like, because huge. you've got two governments who who hate each other's guts. Right. Um, one is a rebel movement confined to par- a large swath of the countryside, but the weird thing is, it still has enough of the country to wage a war as if it's a nation state to some extent, mm-hmm. but it's also a mm-hmm. guerrilla force. And so, t- like, it's always been a little baffling to me because there's certain that war sort of confounds certain expectations and shorthand that I'm used to relying on understanding mm-hmm. situations like this, and they don't really apply to China. And so, it's one of those things where you have to sort of you know, it's many things seem counterintuitive about that, and I always trip up mm-hmm. on them and and sort of throw my hands up and walk away. Yeah, it's it's uh, well, I mean, <clears throat> you think about it. You know, you think about the Pacific War. Um, 
you can't understand the, the war in the World War II in the Pacific without understanding China because that was the whole that was the genesis of the war, and that's where most of of Japan's troops were. I mean, the, the, comparatively, the the number of troops that the Japanese engaged the Americans with was tiny. I mean, they have huge numbers of troops in uh, in China with this very uh, almost you know French Indo-Chinese problem where they controlled the urban areas, but they didn't control the countryside, like you said. Um, and were not able to effectively control the country. Um, but then there were also, you know, so that sounds like a that sounds like a guerrilla conflict. But then there were these huge, huge battles uh, that um, that took place. You know, hundreds of thousands of of troops on a side. And um, I, I just I think that if those were sort of fleshed out, I mean, there there are a few games that have been done. Um, I think I mentioned Against the Odds magazine has done a couple of them. Uh, the most recent one, I, I'm not sure I like it. Um, well, anyway, point being, they're out there. They're big battles, and I think that if you really learned about them, you would think, "Gosh, this is." I mean, this is has all the Sturm und Drang that you can get out of the Eastern Front. So I, I think you could sell easily sell the uh, the Chinese theater uh, as the principal sort of location of engagement of the Japanese. Uh, plus the size of the battles, um, the, and just the politics. If you took the battles in, just out of the, out of context, just put them, you know, as battles, kind of like, you know, well, here's the Battle of Waterloo, um, then they would be interesting. But then people don't have that hook. They don't understand the context. They understand Waterloo. Like Waterloo is Napoleon. He either wins or loses, and that's it, right? I mean, he's this. This is it for Napoleon. Um, but people don't have that same kind of, you know, what's going to happen to Chiang Kai Shek, or you know, how how are the communists going to fare after this battle? Um, there's there's not quite the the focal uh, you know downfall or or um, uh, you know you can't there's no midway battle of midway um, so it's it's it sort of all gets lost and it becomes like you say it becomes this homogenous thing because it's it's a, it's a it's such a mind bogglingly large theater when you think about it. So Troy, uh, I'm I'm curious for you what's your what what's on your wargaming your wargaming wish list. Well, the, the the Bolivar thing that I mentioned earlier, the campaigns of independence uh, for the South American nations. I think that you know there are so many. For, it's for, they're they're generally small battles. There's a lot of politics involved in getting them set up. It might make an interesting coin system with you know the royalists and the creoles and then the lower classes uh, down below. Um, you know, Bolivar is an interest. He's a fascinating character. Uh, he's a great general. And also a bit of an ass, um, so always avoiding exile and then not avoiding exile and getting taking over countries and being kicked out of countries. But there are some interesting, you know, tactical and logistical and military problems involved. You know, marches through the mountains uh, over uh, icy hill paths, and um, occasionally you'll have a naval battle here and there in the lakes. Uh, there's we're talking about you know, relatively small armies, a few thousand men. Uh, these aren't large-scale Barbarossa-type campaigns for sure. Um, but you're talking about, you know, uh, this, the whole continent uh, is at play uh, with, you know, rebellion spilling over from one uh, nation to the next, from, you know, New Granada down through Venezuela, which was Venezuela, into Ecuador and Peru. Um, I, I just think this is an interesting way to string battles together, to string a career together. Um, I mean, he, he's sometimes considered the Napoleon of the West, which I think is a bit overselling him and his talents, but he's an interesting character with an interesting political and military situation, I think. Um, and I think stringing battles together in a campaign type way or having some territory based uh, war game with you know, impulses and political events uh, ongoing at the same time instead of doing, you know, just straight ordinary war game. There, I think there's a lot of potential in the political and military situation there. Um, you know, it's he is kind of, he's an elite who wants to kick the royals out but not let the blacks and mulattoes move up. So he has this tension. So there's this political tension there uh, with him and some of his allies he has to count on. So he has popular support. Um, and, you know, just pulling out, just pulling rabbits out of the hat, just showing up with, you know, either untrained being kind of like George Washington, showing up with the troops at the right time and keeping his army alive is uh, is more important than all, 
Sun's winning the battles, but he wins some pretty big battles. Um, I just think he and Jose de San Martin um, are just two fascinating guys. Uh, Mike Duncan, who's I think best famous for his Roman history podcast, has done a history, a podcast series on the Spanish liberation um, on the Spanish, the South American liberation from Spain. And it's a great series. And there are lots of good English uh, histories uh, and historians of this period, certainly more than there were, you know, 20 years ago. We have Lynch and Harvey and Arana, and a lot of people are covering this territory now. Um, so I think the, the, the sources are certainly available Um Making it an interesting game, I mean, because because the battles might not necessarily be as interesting. I think it does fit into that, you know, uh, French and Indian War problem of only there are a lot more battles. I think the tough thing would be, from my perspective, getting the political stuff in, um, in an interesting and creative way to have, you know, you get kicked, you get exiled to Haiti, but you have a chance to come back, uh, that sort of thing, which I think makes as a drama to the the career. Um, and, and it might even make a good solo war, war game. I can see you know, the Victory Point guys making a, a decent solo game out of this, where you are Bolivar and you have to survive the career somehow. Um, it might make a, a great solitaire game. What? So that that story? Do you think it's is that a war game or is that not like? And I know the definition gets blurry, but like, yeah. is it is it a game about like? armies and operational ta- like like operational tactics or is it a game of like political momentum and alliance building i think i mean i i think it could be either of those <laughs> uh, but I, I think a, a game where there's i think a, some sort of campaign game where you move your armies through south america um you take control of territories but you there are but there's political pressure on the outside um, you have to maintain your victories and then also maintain your status. Uh, victory points, I suppose, could be, I'm not a game designer, could be based on where you end up. Sort of like, you know, in Sid Meier's Pirates. What are you at the very end? You know, what have you succeeded? Um, yeah, you're kicked out of Venezuela, but you liberate all of these countries. So congratulations, you're the liberator. Um, building a, measuring your victory based on that. Um, yeah, the more I think of it, the more I think this is a good solitaire game. Um at least if it can be a military end. Because you could do, I guess, the battles themselves, uh, you know, the Royalists uh, versus uh, Bolivar or San Martin. Um, but even there, the interesting stuff isn't really the battles, it's, it's the getting to the battles. It is um, building your army and then getting it through to the place where it needs to fight, doing the marches through the mountains, uh to going through the forest and uh, choosing to fight the battles. So it's probably more of a campaign area-based war game instead of, you know, some hex-based thing. Something I would be curious to see tackled, um, and, and maybe, maybe it already has been, Bruce, maybe, like, maybe there, maybe there are, are uh, coin or, or coin-adjacent type games about um, the uh, British conquest of South Africa, and mm-hmm. the pacification of the Philippines, uh, hmm. both of which I find interesting in that there are two cases where, like, like on paper, they shouldn't, these should, like, it's it's very lopsided, right? Like, you, like one side is has vastly more resources to draw on, uh, and actually has the possibility to basically cut the battlefield off and uh, and control it. So, to a degree, like, there are some outcomes that are that are bordering on inevitable, and yet at the same time, you've got cases where you have a resistance or insurgency that really proves much, much harder uh, to to sort of contain control uh, than is initially expected. And you have, like, you have two, like, you have examples of, like, two regular armies being forced to very rapidly adapt to a new form of warfare in a new mm-hmm. setting they're not particularly familiar with. And this, and this is where things get sticky. Then you also have two, like, liberal... Uh, like liberal uh, democracies to an extent, mm-hmm. um, really front, like pioneering, uh, you know, some some war crimes uh, in some ways, really pushing the boundaries mm-hmm. of like how you can control populations and uh, and, and sort of turn them against uh, the people the people you're fighting. But I think those are those are interesting those are interesting cases because 
you have you have problems of results are expected at home. There's a lot of pressure to deliver results, whether or not you're you're ready to move forward or not. Uh, there is a real resistance to giving you the res- like giving you the resources you you may, you may need uh, to to deliver victory. Uh, and then there's just the and then there's just the fact of you're going to have to pioneer uh, new tactics and change your approach to to the campaign to sort of starve these insurgencies out. And I've always thought those would be interesting campaigns to to cover, uh, even if I'm sort of drawing too many parallels between them, uh, which I mm-hmm. almost certainly am. Uh, I think they they provide interesting examples of uh, sort of asymmetric warfare uh where kind of anything went uh in a way that wasn't the case maybe later in the 20th century uh so i I think those are those have some interesting potential for war games i'm curious if maybe those already exist bruce i don't i I don't know anything about uh, i don't think that there's any any game about the philippines or i mean um, there may be i just i just don't know one i should say i don't know of one um i don't know of any sort of operational strategic games about uh, the conquest of South Africa. But there is, a, I mean, just came out, like, I don't know, a month ago, um, Battle of Colenso, 1899, um, uh, was uh, a game made by um, uh, Polish by Legion War Games. Uh, I forget the designer, but um, uh, it's a solitaire game. So you could actually play it without any opponents. Um, but it's it's not a, it's not about the um, the whole war. It's just, it's just a single battle. So, you know, that... Don't know how interested you are in that, but uh, no, I mean those are those are interesting. Um, I think <clears throat> the, the conquest of South Africa, I think, is 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 uh, something that would have a, an, a, also a significant political component to it. You know, those are difficult games to design. I mean, these are these are all. Um, you know, I think we talk about why some of these more interesting situations aren't uh, design more often. One of the reasons is that you have to be a pretty good game designer to be able to capture all these elements, right? I mean, it's not, you know, we, we all, we sort of look and say, well, why doesn't somebody just make a game about X, right? Well, it's, you know, find out how many divisions there were, give, you know, make the weakest one a one, and then just scale everything up, give them some movement points, give a combat results table and you're done. Right. Um, and, and that's obviously not the case as, as we, as we can see from many games that, you know, game design is an art, uh, to some extent. And it's, uh, also a, skill um and uh some of these some of these situations i think defy easy game design and um that's another reason why they probably don't uh, exist well and it sort of feels in a lot of these cases too to make a game that is sort of that sort of gets at the most interesting parts of the conflict overall you necessarily mm-hmm. have to step away from a lot of the more dramatic clashes that people mm-hmm. like generally like to hear about in war games so like for instance like you can you can certainly make a squad tactics boar war game but mm-hmm. then it's just a th- then you've you've made an infantry squad tactics game that's basically mm-hmm. what you've done and there's a million mm-hmm. of those and and the setting might make for a slight difference but but there's not an interesting squad there are not a million squad tactics boar war games right yeah exactly and it's 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 just it's not it's not going to be super special but if you turn it into a game that sort of captures what's fascinating about the boar war you're probably stepping away from the level where players are pushing, you know, riflemen, you, you know, you know, what I mean, you're, mm-hmm. you're stepping away from the combat arena where you're sure. making exciting maneuvers, and you're stepping more into a less glamorous, murkier uh, arena where it's where it's more about, you know, begging for resources and, uh, you know, trying to deliver political outcomes rather than, mm-hmm. uh, you know, go seize that hill. Well, I mean, I think that that some of these games could be better done as more. Euro style games like um, Cole Worley's um, uh, Pax Pamir or the you know uh, Phil Eklund's uh, Pax Porfiriana, right? Those are those are not necessarily war games, but they do represent a certain type of conflict uh, better than I think a lot of war games could do. Um, so I think that some of these these games that have sort of these nebulous elements uh, could be more abstracted. Um, you know, once you once you decide you're going to put a hex grid down over something and then have a bunch of terrain, um, you know, you're limiting yourself to to some extent, um, and you have to insert, uh, you know, interesting mechanics into something that's already you've you've already sort of set an expectation for it, right? Um, so, I would I would 
definitely, um, you know, hope that people would, would take interesting approaches to these interesting situations. Um, but you know, it's all, ultimately it's about what people are going to buy. Um, I feel like it, at some point it becomes a little, uh, how should I put it? It, you're so bent on getting people interested in your topic that you sort of try to make game mechanics that are interesting. And then you sort of put the topic in it and you're sort of like, you know, you end up with Reiner Knizia's uh, Beowulf, which has nothing to do with Beowulf, but you know, it has, you know, some guys that are bidding on stuff. Um, so, I mean, you can do the same thing and have, you know, really interesting mechanics and call it, you know, Simon Bolivar's Wars of Liberation. And then you're like, well, I, I don't know anything that really has to do with anything with this, but boy, it's an interesting game in terms of mechanics. Sorry, I was just, I was thinking about, I was, I was, I was designing a Reiner Knizia, uh Bolivar game in my, in my head. And I got as far as um, suits of different colors belonging to different mm-hmm. countries and ethnic groups. And right. once you complete sets, you've liberated a country, sure. uh, which, which I think <laughs> is roughly how that would, how that would play yeah, out well. uh, as it was in life, uh, as, as yeah. a matter of fact. Well, that's very historically accurate. Uh, Bruce, I'm, I am curious, um, you know, you sort of opened the show talking about, like, uh, Polish-Soviet war games. I mean, uh, do you own these just because, like, you know, you're, you're Polish and that, that, that is a part of history that speaks to you personally? Or is well, there something I mean, about that war some, that, that you're, also, some you're extent, also into? To some extent. But, I mean, I also think, I mean, I think it's a very dramatic sort of, uh, I mean, a miracle on the Vistula is a very dramatic event. Uh, you have this sort of army that's just falling back in disarray to some extent, and then the so- the Soviets overextend themselves and they are counterattacked. I mean, it's, it's that it has it's a it's a situation that has a decisive turning point, um, and it's a it's a it's a it's a game of you know it's a what game, it's a situation of maneuver. Um, the lot lot of uh, territory is crossed, going one way and then back the other way. Um, I think it's actually in the, in the command. The command uh, problems are significant. It has a lot of really very interesting, um, interesting things in it. There are armored trains, which I know is your guys' favorite thing. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I think that there's a there's a lot of stuff going on in that. In that, I mean, it's a it's a really. Uh, I think it's a fascinating campaign and and really is is good is well gamed or you can you can game it well um the 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 key you know the problem obviously is that um you know the soviets they they uh they sort of over pursued to some extent and tukachevsky kind of got distracted or 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 uh um over eager and it's kind of like the you know von manstein's uh backhand blow right you let the you let the attacker get overextended then you then you then you hit him you know back when he's sort of at his maximum sort of strain um and uh that's hard to do right because you have all this uh you have you have all this foreknowledge because you know well you probably shouldn't do that um so then you have to put all sorts of limitations on right that the soviets can't be too deliberate because if they're too deliberate and they they um they don't uh, um, pursue as aggressively as they did historically, then, um, you know, they'll, they'll run out of time or the, the polls will get reinforcements. You know, you have to, you have to balance all this stuff. And, and, and ultimately, it's about making a game that's interesting from both sides, um, which I think strike the, I strike the eagle. If, if, if people haven't played it, um, you should definitely check it out. It's a block game with hidden information, but it's, it's very good. Um, Rob, I think that's the next one. If I, uh, yeah, well, whoever, whoever, whoever I see next, Troy or Rob, that's the that's the one we're gonna uh, play. Once you make uh, it out to Oregon, man, I'll be up every weekend. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I had a question. So something occurred to me. I was listening to um, uh, Wes uh, Wes Livesey's uh, History of World War One. Mm-hmm. Uh, podcast, which is which mm-hmm. is great fun. Uh, I, okay. I'm, in, I'm enjoying it uh, quite a bit. Uh, particularly, like I sort of I sort of cut cut past the opening stages of the war because I, I know that pretty backwards and forwards, so I don't need to hear about it again. Uh, but mm-hmm. 1915 uh, starts to get interesting, and I enjoy that um, Wes's podcast gives um, gives some like forgotten fronts 
they're due. And one of the things I'm finding weirdly interesting is um, sort of the Austrian campaigns in the Carpathians. Um, and, uh, so, and, and Russia and Russia's attempts to attempt, attempts to break through there. Okay. Um, and something that occurred to me is yeah. that there's a lot of interesting conflicts fought between armies that are not regarded as being very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in part, they're not regarded <laughs> as being very good because they fight indecisive, like wasting campaigns, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, uh, reading, um, oh, what was the, uh, what was the book? Um, the White War or something like that about the Italian front, uh, the, mm-hmm. the Italian Austrian front in, in World mm-hmm. War One. Um, you know, there, there's there's sort of a perennial habit of thinking of like the Italian army is this is this hapless buffoonish uh, like group mm-hmm. of mo- like little Mussolini's uh, sort of keystone copping their way around mm-hmm. Europe. But you read about you read about these these campaigns and. Mm-hmm. Um, they're absolutely harrowing, right? Like the reason these armies didn't make progress is because they were basically sent into uh, ridiculous geography uh, mm-hmm. and given very little support and sort of left to improvise uh, their way their way through combat. Mm-hmm. And hearing about like the you know Russian army uh, can't wage like fighting in the uh, in in the Carpathians. Um, it sort of gets me thinking that, like, there's on the one hand, there, there, there's sort of there's a lot of drama there. Uh, there there's mm-hmm. a lot of like possibility uh, in in campaigns like that, and these campaigns that tend to get overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it also does feel like I don't know. Sometimes it, it it sort of seems like there's a bias against covering conflicts where it feels like the junior varsity of the era's military talents were were playing. Does, does that make sense to you? Makes sense. I, I think that's that's true. I think it also means you know it also it's it's not very interesting to game things that aren't in any way decisive, right? I mean, who if somebody if they if somebody fights an inconclusive battle, then what's the difference? Who wins it, right? Like if you win, what's the difference? Um, and you know there are a lot of these. I, I also think you know frankly you're going to have a hard time. You know, once again, your sources are going to be tough to to come by there, but. Um, but you know these are these are these are large battles between sort of poorly trained armies that might not be that interesting to game. Now you you mentioned 1915. You know what's the what's the, probably the most one of the most uh, well, I'll call it the most um, sort of famous event of that year was Gallipoli. Mm-hmm. How many Gallipoli games do you know? Um, Gallipoli only. I don't. Well. There's one coming out. Okay. Called Gallipoli, 1915. <laughs> God, I love war game titles. <laughs> Colon, <laughs> Churchill's greatest gamble. Now, it's only the first three days, but it's huge. How do you mean huge? Is it, just, is it like cost you 105 50, bucks. 50 meter hexes, the entire Dardanelles straight? What? Three, three 34 inch by 22 inch maps. Basically, a thousand counters. This doesn't uh, sound like my jam. Four hundred meter hexes. I'm not two sure hour turns. Is... Yeah, I'm not oh, sure yeah. this is what I want, Bruce. Well, I'm not sure know, that's the Gallipoli board game I, that my heart it's, desires. It's it's no longer forgotten. No, yeah, that's <laughs> actually pretty. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's um. I mean, I haven't. It's not out yet. I haven't played right. it. Um. But there's a. You know, if you go to you go to um. You go to uh, GMT's website uh, and you look at it. There's, uh, you know, there's a there's sort of a playtest map. It's got a lot of water on it. Um, makes me wonder, you know, uh, you know that that's part of the that's part of the problem, right? I mean, you have you have a game about uh, about a combat on land, but so much of your um, so much of your um, so much of your um, playing area is probably not playable. I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see what they do with it. But I'm just, I, I just, while we were talking, I just clicked on the map here and I'm looking at it. Um, well, and water seems... landing rules are a perennial, like, pain in the ass in, mm-hmm. in games as well. Oh, it's fun times. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know how this is going to work, but uh, 
Um, there, there are multiple articles on uh, GMC's website. You can read about uh, how they're developing the game. So, um, but again, right? I mean, as soon as I as soon as I said that to you, you're like, uh, I'm sure I want to play this game. So, I mean, it, it's probably pretty hard to to make a game and then realize that you're not probably going to sell that many copies of it and how many people are going to play it. I mean, people will play a three map operation typhoon game but how many people are going to play a three map gallipoli game yeah well to to be fair I, like, i'm not going to play the three map operation typhoon game either oh like, yes you are like no that's like it, yeah, no we're gonna do like, that no oh, if, if i show play. up and if i show up to your new place and like it's gonna be like misery and the door's gonna slam shut and you're gonna be that's like right. hey look at this it's yeah, like, case okay, here, blue. yeah place this uh yeah place this uh hedgehog yeah, no, uh, yeah. that's that's probably that's not that's probably not to my taste. Mm-hmm. Um, I do find it interesting to cut it off after three days, which is probably the the, the right move, right? Because like the opening right. days were the decisive ones, and they didn't right, make they enough progress, and then, then it was just, just yeah, yeah. yeah. it was a meat what's grinder. The point? Right? Yeah, what's the point? But uh, I mean, they're all the, <clears throat> everybody's got a story to tell, right? And 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 the first three days of Gallipoli are you know pretty dramatic. Just ask Mel Gibson. That was not a great movie, in my opinion. No, I, I, I haven't seen it in I twenty years. Not, 30, I did not love maybe. Gallipoli. Why not? Um, too much sprinting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you remember, if you remember, it's a story of two sprinters. Yes. They're like rivals and uh, rivals in Australia, and uh, they get to the, the theater. And I'm pretty sure that they're basically told, like, you're the best sprinters in the army, and so we're going to put that to use. Um, yeah, it it was it was it's very it's a very strange film uh, in some ways, but I, I could I, I should probably revisit it. Um, sure, I'm, I'm I'm curious what else is on your uh, on your on your on your wish list. As far as war games, you know, not really very much. I mean, I always have my, you know, my strategic uh, games that I'd like to see. But those are something for another topic in another day. Um, I mean, you mentioned I, I was going to suggest the Italian World War One front because it is just so bleak and depressing. We need more bleak, depressing war games. So that one's gone since you already mentioned it. Um, I mean, it's trying to think. Are any good naval topics that haven't been done because you know naval, naval war games well, are always so much so, fun. Naval's so tricky, so much fun. Yeah, it is. It really, really, really is, um, and not very interesting so, at all. I was thinking. So I was reading. So I'm reading um, Six Forgets uh, by Ian Toll and uh, and Bruce. I, I will say this: for some reason, this one is starting to bother me. Uh, just how much of a pop historian he can be uh, in mm-hmm. a way it did yeah, not very bother much me mm-hmm. in, with his Midway book. Uh-huh. Uh, but but here it is, and maybe that's just because I know the history a little better. Uh, but there's a, sort huh. of a a Massian obsession with anecdote uh, in that book mm-hmm. uh, yep. that that sometimes obscures rather than illuminates. I find. Yep. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. uh, and an aspect of it I found interesting is sort of the first campaign against the Barbary uh, pirates. In some ways, it's not necessarily a war game, but the politics of that command are really fascinating. That you basically have. Groups of American captains sent out at different times, many of whom don't like each other, who are given very vague orders and a lot of latitude, basically given free reign to carry out foreign policy, um, construct, like create new military resources for themselves, uh, basically like kind of do whatever the hell they want uh, in, in the Mediterranean, uh, provided they do something about, uh, about, about the Barbary pirates. And I actually can find that like I think there's potential there for an interesting game about like rival captains or something okay. like that. Like or like like partly like partly a war game, but is also tied together with like battles of personal influence and who is going to get the ear of like the different ambassadors uh, mm-hmm. who are who are involved in in the operation, right? Who is like there, there's a lot of weird coalition building. Uh, mm-hmm. Surrounding that, surrounding that conflict, that I think could be an interesting, an interesting subject, right? So, like, you have a naval campaign that's sort of surrounded in every direction by like really bitter politics. I find that mm-hmm. kind of interesting. So, I mean, I, I don't. I'm, I'm sure that 
uh, I don't question that possibility. I think the easiest way to do it probably have, you know, all the captains, you know, have different numbers, and then you collect enough captains in a single color, and then you get a resource block. Thanks, Reiner. And then, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I think that I think that would be fascinating. Um, that if you could actually, but but once again, right? This is this is the kind of thing where, uh, you know, you're you're you have. You know, would, you, would people play different captains and then you have to have a lot of captains or, you know, are you, um, because then that's kind of a, that's kind of a, that sounds to me like more of a solitaire game where you have to, you know, you have competing figures on the same side, right? And then you have to sort of balance their actions somehow. Um, so that, that actually, that's not a bad, that's not a bad uh, solid game idea for a solitaire game. Maybe we should design it. I think we should. All right, let's do it. Uh, Troy, how about the Battle of Actium? Oh, God. G- 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 galley Wars. Uh-huh. I'm trying to... Th- that has got to be... Yeah, there's got to be, be something on Galley Wars out there, right? An- I mean, Anthony and Cleopatra, though. You yeah, could have well, Richard Burton and, and, uh, and, and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Taylor. Taylor on the front, and maybe it'd sell, it'd sell itself. Roddy McDowell on the other side. <laughs> okay, I got yeah, one. I got one that's a little naval. What? But again, it's also very political. Uh, the first Peloponnesian War. Um, so not the not, not not the one that Thucydides uh, ends up writing about, but the mm-hmm. the one that sort of precedes the uh, the major break in in four thirty one. Um, because there, what I find interesting is, to a degree, it's oh god, it's it's so perfectly made for a uh, influence uh, territory control. Uh, game, but mm-hmm. you also have an interesting asymmetry in that, to a degree, both sides have to uh, sort of work the politics of the Greek city states and sort mm-hmm. of keep their coalitions together and 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 keep their factions uh, in power in their in their allied cities. Uh, but then you have this interesting wrinkle um, afflicting the Athenians more than the Peloponnesians of uh, people will flip sides and and turn their coat. Uh, like sort of as as Megara did uh, a couple times, uh, and as various um, major island cities in the Aegean did to the Athenians, and so you have an interesting the the thing that I kind of dig about it. I'm not sure I've seen games that really bring this out. Is that to a degree like the Athenians have like almost like they have really expansive resources, but they can still get tapped out. You know what I mean? Like wherever the, the Athenian fleet goes, they can bring a situation to order. They can, they can bring a recalcitrant ally to heal, but they cannot be everywhere at once. And so they're also trying to wage this, this coalition building game, even as, uh, you know, so, so on the one hand, they're waving the carrot, but then they're also scaring the shit out of everyone uh, with, a, a pretty militarized stick. Uh, and that's something I've, I've always thought would be an interesting... Like, the game that brings out those dynamics of the uh, balance of power between Sparta and Athens, um, that game doesn't... I don't think that game exists, and I really want to see it. Have you played Polis? No, I haven't. Fran Diaz's Polis? No. Play the game, and then tell me what you think. Okay. I mean, it just... It's, 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 uh, it's a very... Uh, I mean, it's it's widely available. Um, grab it, play it, report back. All right, all right. Last that's call your, for, for for campaign hobby horses. Try. I know you've got a thirty worst, I'm, thirty years I'm, more topic up your sleeve. So ready to fall asleep, uh, honestly. Oh. Um, How about the war in Antarctica against Cthulhu? Still a little bit jet lagged. Um, oh yeah, you're freshly returned from Malta. Well, not freshly. It's been a few days, but how about the siege of Malta? What? What about the siege the of siege, Malta? The siege of Malta. There's a good. I mean, siege games are always hard to do, right? I mean, yeah. they're just not interesting. How, how do we make? We have all these great sieges in history. How do we make them interesting? How do we make a game about Elysia that doesn't suck? Caesar or, Elysia is a great game. Yes. Or so, the siege of Troy. You can do it. Or uh, the siege of or the siege of siege of Vienna, siege of Malta. Pick a siege. See, uh, Caesar Elysia is a, is a great game. Now, yes. um, there is a because uh, it, it actually had a real battle in it. A lot of sieges generally, because they don't, but battles often anticlimactic. Syracuse. Now there was a siege. Yes. 
So just so you know, uh, Troy, waning, yes. waning crescent, shattered cross. The siege waning of Malta, 1565. Waning crescent, comma, shattered cross. That's a sad name. Well, that's, a, that's the name. I thought and the siege it's... of Malta was just what happened when it was last called the Paradox Open Bar last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Very God. nice. We had some nice scotch. Good. All right. Uh, well, I think that will do it for uh, for overlooked and under-simulated fronts. Uh, I hope uh, both of you, Troy and Bruce, and our listeners at home have a very happy holiday weekend. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally... Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. This topic in particular was brought to you by our Patreon backers during our monthly topic vote. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Troy and Bruce, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. <laughs>